This week on the Squatcher's Lounge Podcast, Dave and the Reverend Jeff take a look at Bigfoot tool use. Or rather, tool use in general, and then apply it backwards to Bigfoot, of course. That's right. Tonight, we're going to be talking about that thing that separates us from the apes. Or wait, the apes minus the chimpanzee and bonobo. But what about those damn macaques and the birds and the elephants? At least the insects don't use the tools, right? Right? And now, your host, who has the control of both tools and fire, the Reverend Jeff Kelly. That's right. That's what separates us from the shit-flinging monkeys in the trees. The ability to make fire. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Squatches Lounge podcast, and I am indeed your host, the Reverend Jeff Kelly. And with me, as always, is the Dr. David Baddorf, pseudo-scientist. How you doing, buddy? Uh, you know, I am actually having a good time. I'm excited about this topic because I get a yeah, I get a little anthro excited, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they're gonna be geeking out just a little bit on the Bigfoot and tool use. But hey, as usual, this time of the week, it's time to do this. And now for the Squatchers Lounge News, bringing you the most up-to-date topics from across the interwebs, week after week after week. The Squatchers Lounge Podcast. Let's get newsy. That's right. This week's news is brought to you by Los Banos Daily, the LosBanosDaily.com, the most accurate satire news for Los Banos, California. That's right. With articles such as, uh, let's see here, local gang members rise to fame as a shadow puppeteer to Los Banos amateur radio operators can't contact aliens. This is the kind of shit you're going to want to check out. Every single day, you can find it at the losbanosdaily.com. Check them out on Facebook at losbanosdaily as well. So, the first article up tonight a closer look at the campground where this poor little article kid disappeared. I can't pronounce the poor kid's name. Note to future parents don't name your kids stupid spellings, and we can't cover it on the news. Sorry, but poor little kid. They're out camping, several generations of the family's camping out there. Mama, papa, baby, grandma, great-grandpa. They leave the baby with great-grandpa. Mom and dad go to the store. They come back 20 minutes later, and grandpa says, I thought the little bastard was with you. And here's where we are. Days later now, they've been searching and searching and searching and searching all around this area, and they haven't found this poor little kid. And, you know, after 72 hours, the chances really start to get grim. even after 24 hours, you're you're really not looking good. Uh, 48, you're 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 like 50-50, and then after 72, it's a really grim scenario. Um, and, and so this is a sad thing. It you know, people, kids have walked out. You know, maybe they they actually got picked up and are like waiting at the sheriff's station, and they can't figure it out. Uh, but it looks like if they've done uh, a community outreach, that's probably. Um, would would have solved itself. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's, 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 the parents at this point are hoping that they believe the son was abducted because it's like the only belief that they can have left where there's a good outcome out of any of this. But there's no like estranged father. There's no Amber Alert going out. You know, there's it's it's you know it's probably going to end up being one of those sad sad cases where you don't leave a child with a great grandparent in the woods alone. I'm sorry. Or if you do, you say, we're leaving him with you. Yeah, like put him on a leash and hand grandpa the leash. You know, I I know it's horrible to leash your kids, but in this point when you got great grandpa and the kid at two years old, yeah, put the kid on a leash, hand grandpa the leash, and just don't leave him with great grandpa. That's just stupid. I'm sorry. 
I know a lot of great grandparents that are plenty smart enough, but this is just really, really kind of getting to my heart. So if you're out there in Idaho and you can help these people search this area, you know, get off your butt, get out of mama's basement, get a, you know, go on out there and, and see if you can't help this kid get found. And if you know anything about it, you know, Turn it in. Get this kid found because I hate it when little kids are missing. It just breaks my heart. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And even you know, for the for the families, even just you know, continuing the search after that uh, the 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 time of probability for survival is is over, just for closure's sake. I mean, it, it's a hard thing to have to do, but that's you know, if 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 you're in the area and you're available, that's it's a good. Uh, it's a good thing to do for your community um, versus, you know, for yourself. If it was my kid, I'd be begging you to do it too. Yep. Next up, the black rhino genome will be sequenced before it's too late. Thanks to crowdfunding. That's right. They reached out to the people said, look, black rhinos. I'm well, there's 20 left, 25 left there. There are not a whole lot. I'm sorry. 5,000 of the black rhinos. I'm thinking of the, of the other ones that are just about to go extinct that are, Still, 5,000 of these animals is barely enough to keep genetic fluid going uh, without the species starting to interbreed. It's like the cusp of endangered species, and if they, if they lose it, it's done. They, once, they, once they teeter that, very few animals do come back. Uh, it, it's it's true, and this is what you know. This is a question that people ask about Sasquatch all the time. Um, you know, a, a, the a black rhino in a particular area with less than 5,000 and they're worried about it basically breeding itself into extinction. Um, you know, so that, that definitely shows you what kind of numbers you have to have for a species survival. Uh, but I, I think this is great. This was done by crowdfunding because it's a bunch of scientists saying, God, we're not getting our freaking grants. Nobody's throwing money at this. Like there's other rhinos that are more endangered, but this is the one that we can actually construct a genome off of and not just get like, you know, a, a one species or one specimen you know, right? There's still enough specimens left. Yeah, where where you can look at a, at a broad spectrum um, and come up with a, a reasonable you know genome and make primers and do all sorts of other things and learn about other rhinos by creating a full genome and looking at the differences of the other species. Anyway, so really important thing and you know going to this crowdfunding thing people actually stepped up and funded this study which is yeah they needed 15k awesome. and they ran into $17,000 which was 2000 above the goal that is kick ass thank you and it was run here in America so it was the Americans that did it thank you Americans but worldwide you know all these animals are important to us we're talking about it here in America we don't have any black rhinos here hell we don't have any black rhinos in any zoos here that I know of but they're still important to the planet they're still important to the ecosystem and they're still important to the human species we are all human so whether or not it's my friends in africa that are taking care of these or you know whether they're taking care of the monkeys in the congo i still care because i'm human exactly and it's these key um you know these the, the, the megafauna these huge you know almost you know archaic spe species that what are we going to do when they're gone? Well, yeah. they, you know, may, may be, you know, just as, as a trend on their way out and making way for, for the next round. But these are the species that we have to, to look at and, and know the most about because they are the, uh, the top of that trophic pyramid that when they fall, everything else changes around them. Um, and so that's a very, very important thing to know as much about these species as, as possible and know which ones hold entire ecosystems together it's, it's yeah crazy 
Exactly. So, well, that was really, really good news about the black rhino genome. Hey, so this was not good news. So I sent this to David the other day. I was pissed. I read this entire article. I was disgusted. This is not a spoof. This is not a satire piece. This goes to show you how hungry certain countries are to own everything. And guess what? It's not America. Like I've talked about before where the Chinese are just going around and just gobbling up resources anywhere that they're not protected or looked after. Here's another example. Last month, turtle experts thought that there were fewer than 3,000 Philippine forest turtles left in the world. However, they were shocked when they found an additional 3,800 more stacked up on top of each other in a cement tank in a Chinese-owned Philippine warehouse. Thousands of the turtles had they had no visible. These are water turtles, no visible access to water. The, lots of injured. A thousand of these critters ended up being freaking injured. You know, they finally got three thousand of them released back into the wilds of the Philippines, and they kept a thousand of them back for rehabilitation. And I think an additional eight hundred of those were released back into the wild as well. But the the China wanted these for turtle farms in China because they're so rare, you know, they want to be able to breed them and have control of, you know, these all these ultra rare resources around the world, including biologicals. This sucks. Boo on you. Whoever did this, you're you're crappy. It, 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 yeah. And, and so this this type of. Uh mentality that, that goes on in, in, in a lot of in a lot of areas and you know some some of the poor farming practices that are all you know get getting a, the, the abolition of a lot of this in, in the United States is getting you know it's getting a lot of traction so I mean this is people going out and collecting I I don't think this is a breeding project no this this this, this is actually collecting collecting all these animals out if, of the wild if, if there's 3000 in the wild there's as many in this one container but they're damaged they're sick they're shipping and they're shipping those and for trade so what they're doing is taking diseased turtles for for you know to to, to give to the public in whatever way that they are and that's that's the problem with this sort of mentality just oh uh, you know like it's 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 more of it's a commodity. It's not a living thing. You know, like people, we, people up here in Washington State treat apples better than this. Yeah. Right. Well, this is the same. This is the same place that'll sell you a keychain with a live turtle in it, and just you know, the kids don't cut the turtles out when they get home. They just let them suffocate and die. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, you know, this this is what you would consider like the ultimate bad practice because they're doing it to an endangered species, a known endangered species. They wouldn't collect this many turtles if it wasn't so rare. Yeah. It's so, the exact problem. If you notice somebody scooping up a whole bunch of wild animals in your area, you might want to call Fish and Game to have them checked out because I doubt that this was done like this was done quickly. This wasn't done over months and months and months of time. This was like a bunch of little people out there freaking going through these wilds and just picking these things up. I've heard about the hunters here in California where they'll come through in seven or eight pickup trucks and just kill everything on a mountainside, put it into trucks and drive it out of there. They just do. It's hit and miss. You know, it's hit, slam, get the hell out because they know if they get caught, they're going to jail for like ever. This is just horrible types of things to have happen. Uh, speaking of horrible things to have happen, shark attacks risks have fallen significantly since the 1950s. 
I say bullshit, but talk talk to me about this, David, because this was your baby. This is this is, this is a, a a great thing, you know. So it we, we keep bringing it up, and I, I like to bring it up because it does. It goes to like the motive of the 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 shock and awe of the of the Bigfoot uh, title. Oh, wait, I, I'm I'm getting this important news message. Hey, sharks live in the ocean. Yes, yes, they do. And when you go in the ocean you have a very small probability of being bitten by a shark. Think about the amount of times that you were stung by a bee in the last 10 years, and it's about 3% of that is getting bit by a shark in your lifetime. Okay, so um, then then you uh, all of a sudden add that there are 11 shark bites. Maybe it's up to 12 now. It's been a couple weeks since we did that show. Um, you know, like 12 shark bites um, in a shark-infested area where there's lots of tourism, you that's know, hotels 12, drop, you know, that's drop only the 11 or 12s that we hear of though. Trust me, there's a whole lot more that are covered up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so, but, but so here's the deal. Like, you know, you, you drop your prices, you increase tourism, you put more people in the water and there are more shark bites. There's a immediate correlation to that what this study is doing is combating <laughs> the idea that sharks are vicious creatures and somehow turning on the humankind and saying, <laughs> no, because of the, population increase and because of the influx of people um, since the 50s your uh, the actual probability of you being bitten by a shark just by the sheer amount of people in the ocean where there are sharks in general is significantly lessened just because of the amount of people that are in there they're probably going to bite somebody else and not you because you know it's kind of oh, like right. so if you get bit you're just really friggin unlucky less likely you are to win right Exactly. Yeah, Don't play the lottery if you've ever been shark bitten. Okay, that's kind of the way that goes. I mean, the world's population has increased like twenty percent since like I was born. You know, in in the last forty years, when I was a kid growing up, we weren't even at four billion people on the planet. How many do we have now? Seven. Uh, I'm 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 gonna hold it six ish. Okay, <laughs> so like I said, you know, there's a twenty percent jump right there since I was a kid. So. There, you know, the number of people in the oceans just in general, of course, goes up. So the number of shark attacks is a, a correlation that's actually going to go up. But your chances as individually is probably even less than being mauled by a grizzly bear and mauled by a brown bear in the same day. <laughs> by uh, likely because you know the uh, grizzly and brown bears are terrestrial where we are more often than in the ocean, and they're more aggressive than sharks are. In the ocean, uh, so so here, the, yeah. The, what what this is saying is, you know, uh, the increase of population um, and increase of, of tourism, especially in particular areas, um, i.e., like you know, Georgia. Uh, you the the, the the increase in shark bites has not gone up um, equally to that. So your risk of being bitten actually goes down based upon the fact that the amount of shark bites is is a lesser increase in the population. It's a correlative study and it doesn't really mean anything and it's uh, uh, another uh, you know clickbait uh, title but it's it's I mean still that, 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 that's what that's what you have and still the, right. the I, what I like to do is I like to take these hysterical topics and and like talk about the actual numbers behind it and it's really not that hysterical that 11 people got bit by sharks where sharks live when there's a million people in the water. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, so the, the the fear is 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 more interesting to the media than uh, than the actual 
possible. Well, of course, somebody getting the media is all about. However, if you're if you're this jackass and you're swimming directly with a bunch of sharks, your chances of getting bit go up significantly than the assholes who are you know bathing in the ocean at waist deep water. Well, but, so, but but here's the thing: like that, that really doesn't like it's like you know. You, you, if you went butt naked into a and shook a bunch of like beehives, like you're gonna get stung. But this guy is probably not gonna get bit, even if he's acting like aggressively with these sharks. If he acts like food, which you'd have to become much smaller somehow and bite-sized, they would actually bite him. Otherwise, you know, I mean, maybe if he smeared, uh, you know, chum all over his uh, testicles or something, <laughs> then he would, you know. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're, we're balls. It's, just, it's, probably, it's probably not going to happen that the feeding frenzy happens unless there's a reason for it to happen. If he if he shoots himself into the middle of a bait ball of bait fish while the sharks are attacking it, yeah, he's going to get bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, so here's here's a new one. We had to bring giant pandas' lazy lifestyles finally justified by science. So here you have this big ass bear, three hundred pounds. I mean, this ain't no little tiny teddy bear, man. These panda bears will whoop your ass if you let them get close to. You've seen them rip the jackets off of people in the Chinese zoo to get too damn close to them, like dumb shits. But all they really eat is bamboo. They're not like. They're not omnivores. They don't go after the meat. I'm sure they scavenge a little bit here and there, and I'm sure they eat probably insects that come along with the bamboo. But for the most part, how the hell are they eating this growing grass and getting to be 300 pounds and living to be 30 and 40 years old? So, so, th- so think about this. This is an omnivore that's supposed to be like you know all other bears eating you know some grasses and and but mostly like you know berries and and insects, grubs and 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 taking taking a little bit of you know, meat protein from uh, other, you know, uh, small mammals and other things like that. This bear eats a really nutrient-poor, almost impossible-to-eat member of the grass family that nothing else eats. The Gigantopithecus went extinct because this is what it ate. (laughs) Right. Um, Like, this is all it eats, and it... Basically, gets it gets almost no nutrition off of this. Uh, the, the, I, I'm not going to remember the. I'm not going to remember the exact number of months, but the the juvenile panda bear basically drops out of the mother, completely malnourished, and it, like it comes, it looks like a joey, like like a like a marsupial yeah. of sorts. Like, and this is a bear proper, right? They're little pinkies, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and they come up and they're pink, and it has to nurse for like years. <laughs> yeah, that's why we don't have bunches of them in the zoos because they can't yeah. breed in captivity for shit. Because, oh, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, but and so they so, figured out how they got all these special abilities. They followed the little bastards around for a year, and of course, checked out the pandas poop. And this was why I actually wanted to bring this article up because you see us playing with poop a lot and talking about poop a lot. But poop is important. <clears throat> In the long run, you can learn a lot about poop if you've got the money to actually process the poop properly. You can. Um, you have to know what you're looking for and what to ask for, and that's part of our problem. Like, you know, I, uh, even with my um, accredited pseudoscientist, uh, you know, acumen, uh, I am a... Uh, not sure exactly what I would want to be looking for because there's so many. Like, hey, just give me the works. You know, right. like, yeah, give me the twenty thousand like, well, dollar panel. About will you? Twelve pounds of scat from one sample for that. No, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, 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 that was my best Todd Disatel. Yeah, that's a lot of poop. Um, but but so you imagine like I mean you know you, you've seen the bear when they're eating the grass and it's like this kind of dark 
charcoaly, like you know, bristly. Yeah, well, the, the bear poop. Like we, I, I've seen bear poop. I know bear poop, and I know when they're eating grass because there's grass in there. Could you imagine passing bamboo? What oh, dude, like he must be like shitting solid wood pellets. In the zoo, I'm pretty sure they give him like three shots of bourbon before they pass anything. <laughs> one bourbon, <laughs> one whiskey, and one gin or whatever the hell. I can't remember well, yeah. a good song with. Well, oh, yeah. Old, I can't bourbon, even remember one scotch, anymore. One beer. That's the yeah, way it goes. God, thank you. All right, let's move on from the panda poop and check out the IFL page on human hands are more primitive than chimpanzees. Now, what does that say? It says that our hands are more closely related to our last common ancestor, and the chimps and the orang hands have actually evolved due to where they live, what they do. You think about, well, if you look at the hands as they, uh, the, the, the gorilla hand is specialized. The orangutan hand is like chimpanzee, who is holding hands here quite nicely with the uh, with, with the human, is actually closer to our, what our hand looks like than a gorilla's hand. And an orangutan's hand is the same kind of shape as that chimpanzee's hand. But if you actually look at it, its proportions are just amazing. They're and and they've been split off for so long, but they. It's obvious that the chimpanzee took a more arboreal lifestyle, even though they're terrestrial-ish now. Um, to to have that sort of you know evolution happen, our hands look much more like monkey hands than ape hands. If you look at all the other ape hands, they look kind of like ape hands. Our hands stayed kind of like monkey hands. Uh, so if you're ever interested, like look at you know. Uh, some of the, like you know some of the uh, the macaques and um, and and other types of like African monkeys that you, and you're you're like wow our hands actually look you know they're 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 different and you know they they may look more primitive in in the in the in the primates I mean totally different but that that plan you look at the plan the way the bones are laid out our hands are closer to that than. Um, our ape cousins, which is interesting, although we can do these amazing things with our hands because they stayed that way versus evolving to be this, you know, what, what, whatever needs that those other apes had. Um, it, it, That's not to say that the human hands have not evolved. It just means that they've evolved closer to what the original line was like, more so where these guys have evolved outside of that. The overall plan—that's hard to explain. Like the overall plan of the the short fingers and the and the and the you know equalized palm, and you look at the elongated palm of 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 this chimpanzee, and the fingers are you know in good proportion to that, and that thumb just. God, what do you do with this thumb? Yeah, that thumb um, just now. If if you shrunk the 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 tarsals um in in the palm of that chimpanzee's hand and and pulled the fingers back a little bit, now that thumb comes back into play. That's more like a monkey's hand, which if you look at us is more like a monkey's hand than the chimpanzee. Um, and uh, but we have these huge. I mean, it, it, you can see the muscle in that th that wraps over the top of that thumb in this picture. Um, I mean that's shows you how much we use that thumb. That's why our hands stayed like that. We stayed, you know, we took the terrestrial lifestyle, um, which honestly the ancestors of orangutans were, you know, the Shibithicus and, and Orangpithicus and some of these other things that were related to Gigantopithecus. They were all ground-dwelling apes. So this is something that's even kind of new in the orangutan line. 
chimpanzees are mostly ground dwelling, but they do spend a lot of time in the trees, um, kind of split up and down. Um, so it, it makes total sense, and it's it's a beautiful look in into the evolution of the hand, um, where we just never adopted that full-on arboreal lifestyle um, more so than than our than our hands our hands didn't need to change as much as uh, the chimpanzees etc you know we obviously had arboreal roots you know we all came from the same tailless monkeys um, so the very interesting article to think about um, that uh, yeah we've had a lot of specializations but our overall plan the, the plan of our hand is closer to a monkey um, or our first emerging apes than a chimpanzee is Fantastic. Pretty freaking cool if you ask me. Uh, I just caught this up in my newsfeed and I just had to actually mention it. Oh, what the hell's going on here? The the uh the dailymail.co.uk, of course. Um <laughs> there's a, there's this gorilla in the zoo who seems Speaking to have of highly evolved hands. Right. Has seemed to have figured out what the middle finger is actually for. And there's actually a clip here of him sitting with his little friend in the zoo, and his little buddy there decides to like hit him in the friggin' face over and over again with this Kong, and he just ends up giving him the finger you know, several times over again. And I had to ask, is that a learned behavior from being in the zoo? Because it definitely can't mean what we think it means. Maybe it's a universal gesture. <laughs> um, well, in some cultures, that means like thumbs up. Yeah, and 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 the uh, the OK symbol means what we think the middle finger means. So it, it's it yeah it can all be different and misconstrued, but it's probably actually a learned behavior. He's probably actually pissed and expressing what he sees <laughs> so when other people get pissed. <laughs> I think that's exactly what he's learned too. I yeah. think he's just pissed off and getting hit in the face by this little <laughs> bastard with that friggin' Kong, and he's just gonna let him know about it. That and means... I can't say that that I blame him. Yeah, that that means f you as much as me doing it. I think. <laughs> I think so too. I just thought it was funny as hell. Hey, Bigfoot Crossroads, Matt Nap, man, brings us another great article, July thirteenth, putting together the Bigfoot puzzle and dealing with unknowns. That becomes a lot of what this show is about. We talk about the unknowns as though they actually exist or how they can exist in the known biological, anthropological, postulation type of universe that we live in. Correct. I thought it was pretty slick. What were your thoughts on this one? There? I, I, I really like this. Um, and I recently did a show that I, I, I cannot promote, uh, oddly enough. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not because uh, not because of us, because of other requests. But anyway, um, and, and we, we went over uh, you know some sorts of topics like this and how to get to this this whole thing. But I think this is a great <clears throat> visual idea of, of how to put the puzzle together. It's like you don't start in the middle. You don't just build the Sasquatch and then... You know, you have to create the entire image. And where do you start with the puzzle? You start with the outsides. And then you build in, and the picture comes into focus. Um, it, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a, 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 a nicely written article. Um, and, you know, he basically, like, he's like four points. Like, what are we, the four corner pieces? Like, they fit are mammals. They have the ability to walk upright. Uh, they have an opposable thumb, which probably puts them into the primate uh world, and they probably require food and water to survive. But if you take those key things, they tell you a that lot. Says about a lot. The, yeah, it says a lot. If you just put those four corners out there, you still don't see the Sasquatch. But it tells no, you No, you don't, but you, you at least have a base of what you're looking for. Yeah, and, and and then you start to look at, okay, well, which, bit, which piece fits 
here, and which piece fits here, and which piece fits here, and then the you know you don't start to try to build the Sasquatch. You let the puzzle build the Sasquatch, just like you would with any other pe puzzle. You don't say, well, I know that this uh, you know O'Keefe picture looks like a vagina, so I <laughs> like um, I just have to create a vagina. No, you build the puzzle based on the pieces that you're given, um, and then that you know, picture of the uh, of the cow of, 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 of the lily um, comes into uh, oh, that's you know, right. yeah <laughs> comes that's into right. focus what's, what's the old saying roses on my piano are fantastic but tulips on my organ make me happy <laughs> but yeah check it out at bigfootcrossroads.com and matter of fact I actually think we have a special little uh, uh, message from Matt this is Matt Knapp, and you're watching the Squatchers Lounge podcast. Why? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Neither do we, but we appreciate the fact that you do watch it each and every week. Um, <laughs> one of the last things we're going to mention out tonight on the news here, the Bluff Creek Project uh, summer campaign is up and running on the Indiegogo campaign. If you go to Facebook.com slash Bluff Creek Project, you'll actually find their fan page and you can scroll down there's a link out to it or you can search for bluff creek project on indiegogo's website and it'll pop right up but we still got 18 days to close out for the campaign uh trying to raise 561 bucks to do a total battery change they actually just did come back last weekend from uh from the from the actual site of doing a service on the cameras and they'll be going back out to put all this stuff back in place before the gates close for the winter so go ahead out and give them a little bit of a contribution four bucks buy them a beer 12 bucks is a battery sponsor 50 bucks to get you a patterson gimlin film site map back I actually have one of those here. I'll actually have to bring it up on the air next time. Um, it's a really nice pack. It gives you directions how to get to the site, directions how to get there from Willow Creek, maps, topographical maps, all kind of maps, lots of maps, map, map, map pack, 50 bucks, 100 bucks to get you. Hey, come get an invitation to go camping with them when they go up next time. 300 bucks to become a camera sponsor. Get your very own camera installed down around Bluff Creek. It'll cover the whole brand new trail camera system with the bear box, memory card, and batteries, all that for $300. And for 500 bucks, they'll give you a private trip down to the film site based upon a date that y'all can agree upon. And I do know that the $500 level, you can actually split that with a friend. Uh, so it would be $250 a piece. And one of the guys from the project will actually meet you, camp with you down at Laos Camp, and take you on a guided tour of the bluff of the uh, of the actual Patterson Gimlin film site itself. Sounds like an exciting time to me. So go out to the Indiegogo campaign and give them a few bucks just for yep. fun. I still want to do that, but just to be clear, just you know, there's still time. Uh, it was 18 days this has been open. They've already raised 112 dollars. 42 days left to donate, so they're 20 percent, um, and uh, you know, need a little help to get to the 561. But this we'll is stuff. There. This is stuff that costs money, and you know, that's. None of, my, none of our broke asses have 561 bucks out of pocket to put these cameras up there. And I love to see the wildlife videos that come out of this project. So I do donate myself. I mean, even the though last, I the last collection, they, they, they got a big, uh, a big kitty up there doing some stuff too. That yeah. Drinking already. That's like one of the first ones. So yeah. Exactly. Looking forward to the yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch more to come out of that. And finally tonight, we're going to talk about this here in just a few minutes. The bonobo tool use resembles that of our early stone age ancestors. What the f what? Okay, now are they using stone tools? Are they using hand axes? I'm kind of confused here. Talk to me. So what? what 
what this is, this is this is pre-stone tools. I, I'll backtrack a bit. You know, we have like my my homeboy Conzi at the uh, at, at a research institute in the United States of America that they actually taught visually to Flintknapp and was able to make um, a Julian like you know very simple like one-sided hand axes or knives um, to cut through leather to retrieve treats on the inside of a drum that it was cut you know, it was covered with. Uh, so totally able they have all the right pieces of their hands to be able to do that and they know how to learn when you show them now to apply that you know we see you know that Jane Goodall has the 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 termite dipping um, sticks and you know we've seen the, you know, we talk, the, in a different area there uh, a less wooded area they're talking about you know uh, stabbing bush babies with spears that they fashion out of their teeth it's it's about what do you need to survive and we'll be talking like, more about that in here in just a few minutes. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I won't, I won't, I won't, you know, waste it all right now. But, but so what? What they're talking about is that the bonobo tool use, um, whether it's with bones, whether it's with um, sticks or whatever, it looks more like that. Uh, uh, breaking apart, you know, they, they don't go dipping for termites. They try to break into the termite mound um, and retrieve them with their hands, which is what we did in our early stages. We didn't do this kind of delicate, like, you know, whipping by of the uh, of the termites. We we would break in, um, and uh, you know, so we'd we'd fashion a shovel, not a dipping stick. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a whole lot different going on. Yeah. So anyway, that's a very interesting, and we just haven't had a lot of study on that. We've had a lot of study on the chimpanzee tool use, and finally the bonobos were willing to do some of their natural behaviors in front of us involving tools. And we'll get to what tools are in a second. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating, and I hope there's more than just an IFL science on this because there's some really fucking cool stuff that could happen out of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is that time of our broadcast where we get – a word and the tip of the week. And now it's time for Rules to Squatch By with your old pal Wes. Number 43. Birds are assholes. Come check out my recent work <laughs> and my art for sale at westlosner.com. Stay squatching, my friends. <laughs> Poor Wes. He, he is, his throat is killing him. We did the uh, Bigfoot Docs Uncensored on Monday night. And uh, he was feeling kind of crappy then, and it just hasn't gotten any better for the poor guy. But at least he chimed in for us. <laughs> birds are assholes. I have a whole house full of birds, and I have to admit, at times, you are correct, sir. Birds, most definitely, are assholes. The, the dinosaurs evolved to become assholes. assholes. <laughs> True story. And now for tonight's topic. That's right, tonight's topic. I was going to bring you the little bit, but let's go ahead and talk about it anyhow. Ah, so the demise of the Bigfoot Blimp Project um, the Falcon Project, as as we've we've talked about, we we did a whole. I think that might have been the podcast that was like all mixed up. I don't remember, but basically the Falcon Project has failed. The Trekkers came out, and the guys have been trying since May 
to get reimbursed, at least for their food and their expenses for the weeks that they were out there under the project name and actually working. And they've been turned away and turned away and turned away. Well, finally, uh, somebody, one of them actually got to Dr. Meldrum and said, look, William Malian Barnes always said that you were the gatekeeper of the money. So what says you on, you know, why we can't be reimbursed for this? Um, you know, apparently there was $6,000 that was mistakenly somehow not necessarily missing, but uh, appropriated differently than what was expected. Um, basically, the email says that, uh, that the ISU Foundation account that was supposed to have $5,000 of it uh, was based upon a comment made by a staffer during a meeting and uh, based upon other individual donations that never actually came to be. Uh, but they came to claim that the $5,000 was given to them by Olympia Beer, and that was spent in Portland, so there was absolutely no money to put the Trekkers in the field to begin with. No matter what William Allen Martin says about being a fantastic fundraiser, and that's all his job was, was to raise funds, he put people in the field with no money. Dr. Meldrum actually puts that hat right back on him and says, I'm sorry if this is what happened to you, but you went out on the word of William Allen Barnes and not on the word of Dr. Meldrum, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's the gist of it. I'm not going to read it word for word because that's, you know, that's just no need to do that. But that's the latest update on the Falcon Project. I mean, it's just there was no money. There was never any money, no matter how much they talked about it. Now Meldrum wants to say he didn't have any part of it. And I kind of I, I kind of say on that, you know, he was tagged in 100 friggin comments. He was commented on his website, on his actual personal Facebook page that we know he reads because he responds to people that he wants to respond to on that page. And, you know, through all of that, just like through the how are you doing business with standing, he just pleads, oh, I don't know, and just moves on. And that seems to be the thing to do. So the ISU thing, or the Idaho State University thing was all just a tax shelter so that people could get a tax break. As we always said, they had zero to do with any of it, and the Bigfoot blimp was just never going to exist. There you have it. That's the update from the Falcon Project demise. What do you think, the man? The blimp has to exist. The blimp has to exist. It's going to exist. I know it is. He says he has plans for it and everything. No, so, so here, yeah, here, here's the, here's the deal. The, uh, when, you know, Pabst um, or or uh, Olympia Beer, uh, who owns Pabst, um, funded this um, and put put on the event, they don't spend too much money. Um, yeah, I mean, I was how not able to go to that, um, but it, it's that's fine. Why are we still sending people out with the expectation that not only are they going to be funded for the food that they maybe start with, but are going to get more food, right. <laughs> and more supplies, more water, more this, more that, you know? And a hundred dollars definitely wasn't going to cover that. And to continue. Um, where was the misappropriation? Where was the lapse in communication? Where was all of that? Because there were some people that were out there on a word. And I, I understand that people get taken on a regular basis and people like you know do things that they regret ultimately like we've all been there we've all done that that's fine but this is I mean you're going into quote-unquote squatch country 
this is also bear country. This is coyote country. It depends on where you live. This is wolf country. These are places where you need to have support in place to be there for months. What if there like there was no communication? They couldn't get a hold of somebody, and they just tried to live out there for three months. That could have been really, really bad. That and I'm sure everybody's smart. They had maps. They know how to get out there. Like the, the folks that I know that were involved in that, like a you know, the are reasonable people. Um, but bottom line, yeah, it's sketchy as hell. It's like yeah, and 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 why why on a even if it, you know, even if somebody was mistaken, why on a promise would somebody be willing to put people out in the wilderness for for an extended period of time without the funding in place and a plan to even like a plan uh, like pre-purchase of dropping food? I mean, I like I, I work in a in, in a food industry and like you, the amount of supplies you'd want to like set up with somebody ahead of time, you know, like that. This is you know, <laughs> anyway. I do know I do know and can confirm that Jason Valenti has actually walked away from the Falcon project completely. He is asked out and said, "You know what? None of you people are worth the and I'm out. I'm done. Uh, these are my words, not his. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's walked away from the project completely and you know, he was one of the principals in it. So that's really kind of sad to see." Yeah. Yeah. Because somebody that I've sat around and had coffee with um, and talked about the project and his excitement and what had been kind of fed to him, it reminds me a lot about projects spearheaded by, you know, uh, the, the, the Ketchums and Pilates at all of the world um, where there was a lot of promises. There was never a, a like, they were never going to deliver. Where did the misappropriation go? Um, you know, Dr. Meldrum can hide behind his lack of knowledge. Um, and other people, <laughs> for, for a really smart guy, he sure is dumb. Yeah, <laughs> which makes him real smart sometimes. Um, <laughs> and um, and you know, the, the folks that we, you know, like, they're everybody's walking away from this. The people that were were principals are walking away the people that were willing to go in the field for a long term are walking away and they're some of them are really mad <laughs> um etc 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 like the 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 whole story continues on um the saga continues on and i don't know i'm just still mad that we were willing to send people out into the woods with a promise of care that wasn't there yeah, that's that's exactly the end of it where it needs to be stuck. I've said I've said it three times and that's that's all I need to say. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Wait, I can't do that. Um, yeah. uh, so let's get on to tool use, man. The Bigfoot and tool use, chimps and tool use. You know, when I was out doing a little bit of research for the uh, for the podcast today, I, I just did a simple Google search. I was like, you know, what's going to come up if I do Bigfoot tools? So I, I, I searched for Bigfoot tools, and this is what displays. <laughs> the cast of the Finding Bigfoot crew. Um, that wasn't exactly what I was looking for. What I was looking for was something like we had on our opening cover tonight, little Mr. Chimpanzee Boy sitting here using a piece of bamboo to eat termites out of a mound. Is that what yeah. we're going on? I think that's what we've got going on here. That's what we're going for here. This is this is the dipstick. So so imagine like this is This is you know, a baby too. He's learning. Yeah, yeah, you know, still working it. I'm sure. Like, yeah, 
this is uh, it's brilliant. You put it in there. You know the termites are in there. It's a big termite mound. You know, you sit on top of it. You put the thing in there. They bite it. You pull it out and you whip it through your teeth um, and chew really fast before they bite you. And hey, I got some termites. I got some ants. I got whatever I need. Um, you want to make you want to want to impress me? Figure out how to hollow it out and suck it up like an anteater. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know? yeah. so, so the anteaters have this really great, you know. Claw attachment um, that they 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 rip and tear in these huge pectoral muscles and like you know they they can almost fly they've got such big you know pectoral muscles they look like a bird if they stand up you know it's crazy um, so what you have is 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 this which is like okay I'm going to do this and this is going to happen cause and effect and um, it is it is a great tool and we'll get into the, the identification of what a tool is in a second um, and But the difference is they're using this. They're fashioning something to stick into something. Where the bonobo and what they're talking about is they would approach this termite mound in a different way, the way that we do. Maybe this is a, a metaphor for something else. But um, you know, we would have taken a bone or a, a shard of stick or or a rock with a point and broken into the termite mound and extracted the termites that way. We would have we would have articulated this mound to get to the food inside versus you know so people argued at first when Jane Goodall did this it's not a tool it's it's just a stick like a tool would be something that you would fashion to disarticulate that mound yada 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 which the bonobos do which are chimpanzees by the way <laughs> um, not knowing about this whole fashioning a stick into a stabbing spearhead and that would have totally like blown their their minds off, but but at the, but at the same base, this is, it's we're all it's it's a means to an end. The end is termites in your goddamn mouth. Right? And see, what's sad is we don't know about the fourth chimpanzee. We really don't know what the billy apes do. We still don't know barely anything about the billy apes down there at all. The six foot chimpanzee brothers that like to beat the hell out of each other. So yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: they probably do something to get protein out of these mounds. This is a really vitamin-rich, really good thing to do. Everybody does it. <laughs> Why wouldn't they do it too? So, you know, it's the same as, um, you know, termites. We don't have to go into a mound in the Pacific Northwest or when we were up in the, uh, in the Sierras. Um, there was plenty of termite damage in the fallen trees. You would have to find a way with your bare hands, and probably we don't have claws as primates. We have nails, and they're notoriously bad for like a bear can take his claws and rip apart a rotten piece of wood. Our nails that primates have are terrible for doing that. You know, no matter how thick they get, no matter how it builds up, they're terrible for tearing into that stuff and these. You know, pads at the end of our fingers don't cut into the wood properly. We need a tool. How are we going to do that? I would say that because of that stress, that Sasquatch, if they're taking termites out of logs, probably has some sort of a more a tool more like what we would use, or the bonobos used, or what our you know Australopithecine ancestors and the Paranthropus ancestors used as some sort of a cutting tool to get in there. Um, you know, is that is that what we're hearing in these wood knocks at night? Is 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 that Biggie with a big ass club smacking open a dead branch, trying to get his hands down there to eat the beetle, the beetles and the and the and the and the termites? 
So the the wood knocks, as they've been described, into a you know you see some of these logs and they're just completely destroyed by bears. Like they're they're just spread all over the place. They're, you know that would sound more like a you know like more like <laughs> stabbing like... pudding with a spoon. You know, <laughs> it's like hitting shit with a ratchet. Um, but but there are these other. You know, uh, good wood beetle grubs and other things that are in there. Um, actually, one of the things um, when we were off on one of our snipe hunts up there, like uh, Stilio uh, and and Cameron and I um, heard this sound, and we we're like, "What is that?" And we go down to this perfect. It was a new fallen log. Um, you know, still living ish. It was dry, but it was still it was new. Um, and we just heard this. It was a beetle grub in the log scratching. And eating as it would, like basically making sawdust to, to eat out of the log, making making a tube, and it was like God. It's like that log is just. Dude, we could hear it from like three yards away. It was crazy. Like like ten feet away, we could still hear this thing going. So, but to get into that with without a knife, without a saw, without something like you know, edged um, would sound like. So maybe that's what that is. Maybe it's not communication. Maybe it's just, hey, <laughs> the beetle larvae is talking to me right now, and I'm going <laughs> to eat the shit out of that. Cause I'm going to eat the good. shit out of the you know, beetle larvae, buddy. But, but yeah, so, so the, the whole idea of, of all of this is, like, what is a tool? And the definition of a tool I, – I looked up, like, five of them um, before we got in here. It's a device or implement – very important word – Especially one held in the hand, uh, a device or implement, complement, uh, comma, uh, especially held in one hand, comma, used to carry out a particular function. Okay, well, a device is probably uh, not what they're they're talking about. So I was like, implement. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Implement. What is implement? The definition of implement: a tool, comma, utensil, comma, <laughs> other piece of equipment. Like, damn it. Um, especially used for a particular purpose. So, the definition of a tool is an implement. Is an implement especially and, held in the hand. And the definition of an implement is a tool. <laughs> is is a tool. <laughs> Or device or something to accomplish a specific task. Now, when we're talking about the primates, we're talking about the chimpanzees, we're talking about all this other stuff, they're definitely holding it in their hand because they have a hand. Primates have hands. Right. That's what makes us... One of the things, one of the like five points that makes us primates is that we have hands. Because a bear doesn't, a bear isn't known. Well, we did see the article last week yeah. where the bear picked up a big ass rock and broke the glass with it. But, but it did that with its not paws, tools, right? They don't yeah. have hands, so it wouldn't be a tool. It would just be a basketball sized rock. It was an implement of destruction. Destruction. Uh, so, so not necessarily used with the hand or a hand or the fact that you have to have a hand to use a tool, <laughs> um, but that was an implement. So what is an implement? It's basically a device that's meant to accomplish a specific task. So technically by that definition, Webster, you know, not the scientific definition, but the like, you know, colloquial definition of tool, the, um, the crow 
tool video that everybody's familiar with. And if you haven't looked up it, looked it up, look up um, Crow Tool Use, and you'll probably find a video of this hook trick that they've done, um, where there's a little tiny little paper basket with a meat in, in it. Um, it's got a little handle, just like a little, little tiny paper basket, down to the end of a tube, and they give it a straight piece of uh, a wire. And so, of course, the crow picks it up and tries to stab the meat. That's not working. You know, they make sure that doesn't work or whatnot. And crow after... Well, there's one particular crow that you can find on YouTube, but crow after crow is shown. This is a wild crow, not seeing this trick happen before, bends the end of the wire into a hook to pick up the basket, pull the meat out. Technically, by this definition, that is an implement and it's not a tool, and that's not tool use. However, it took abstract thought to turn that piece of wire into a hook, which it was not before, in order to complete the task that was required. So that's an implement and not a tool. But if you have hands, that's a tool. And that's what that's saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so confusing. So they must have tools. So if, if Sasquatch were going to use an implement and he was going to use that implement in his hand, then Sasquatch would be known to use a tool, such as a rock. A rock could be a tool used to hunt with. I mean... They, they, they consider... Um, I, I think in the intro I said macaques, but I, I, I think it's something else. Um, what, what's the uh, the primate that's uh, loose down in... Um, in the Everglades, where it's... Uh, they're, they're from South America. Anyway, so they're known widely in South America to crush nuts with rocks. That is considered a tool. There's there there's an anvil and they use the same anvil and there's rocks and they select the rocks particularly because some rocks will break over the nuts and they they, they use that as a tool and it, it, this is something uh, that's you know debatable depending on what, what what you're talking about but it's definitely a possibility. Sasquatch probably uses tools and it's probably to extract food. They're probably not using tools to make a house. A house. Yeah. A wigwam. Probably not using tools. Tree structures. Well, yeah, to, to, to make these these tree breaks and and, and and structures and and other things like that. You could use your hands for that. Um it doesn't require a tool. So but the function of a tool like we were talking about certain chimpanzees that are living that are living near these trees with termites. They find a termite hole. They dip into it with a stick and they whip the stick out and they get the termites. That works for them, but in a less tree-rich environment, there's not as many termites. They can't do that as often. They can't get enough protein. They have to take a stick, break it out of the tree, tear all the extra branches off, and fashion a point on the end of it and stab another primate, a bush baby, a prosimian in the face <laughs> to, to, to kill it because they bite and they're venomous. Um, uh, no, they're not venomous. But they anyway, maybe maybe they could be venomous. It, it's the uh, um, Tarsiers that are venomous. Anyway, um, and uh, they're slow loris, not Tarsier, slow loris. East Asia. Whatever. Uh, so, you know, they bite. It's fine. They bite. Nobody wants to be bit when you're just trying to get lunch. So you right. stab them in the face and you pull them out, but you've made something out of You looked at that tree and like, hey, that would make a good stabby stick. And then you made a stabby stick and you stabbed 
a bush baby in the face. <laughs> um, that's that's the you know kind of the definition of that modern tool use, but that doesn't happen where you get these other easy you know insect proteins. It, it's this this kind of more sparse savanna-ish, which is interesting. I um, mean, you look at it evolution-wise. Um, our ancestors were living on the edge of that for so long, and that's why they expected us to have these stone tools, or expected that we would created stone tools and spears and other things like that, because we lived on this savanna edge, and these chimpanzees that are living on that savanna edge show that same sort of behavior. Um, and chimpanzees that are living in the deep forest in Gombe, um, you know, on the coast where it's just like, you know, socked in and, and, and good, you know, I'm sh shrinking habitat for sure, but like it's, it's like, so it's good socked in habitat right there has a, a totally different behavior than these savanna chimps. And that's the kind of thing that we're, you're looking at. What is the environmental stress in the Pacific Northwest, the West Coast? I always look local for, because that's how I'm going to solve the question that I'm looking for. Um, and absolutely, like a lot of, the, I mean, there's berries, there's this, there's that, and the other. You have to dig for a lot of the rest of it. It's all, you know, edible roots. I mean, there's stuff up here. I need to get out and make another video. There's stuff up here that tastes amazing, like the, the wild ginger that's up on the mountain that I go to, and the, and the, the licorice root. And you better leave that ginseng alone, boy. Yeah, like the, there's there's some amazing stuff up there, but you got to dig for it. You can you can dig with your hands. You can try to pull it, but implements help to get the big stuff. That's um, why you take a shovel. Yeah, uh, onions and this and that and the other. Or how do you fashion that if you don't have a shovel? Um, and so those are the kind of tools um, that and getting to those you know grubs and stuff in the logs because we don't you know if Sasquatch has long, thick nails, it's more than likely that they'll just rip off kind of like ours if you're really digging through logs. So it's going to be to your benefit to take even a pointed stick that's harder than the rotten log to break apart the rotten log. So tool use is probably a thing. Primates do it. If you have hands, you can call it a tool by by Webster's definition. Right? <laughs> um, so that that's really interesting um, to, to think about, but how far does that go? And we, we talk about tools and, you know, we start to get into, like, you know, fire. Well, fire is not a tool. Fire is something different. That's a, a different kind of creation. That, that's, that's an industrial, a complex industrial process that we go through um, versus a tool. So one and the other is probably different. Could, it, could a chimpanzee start a fire if I gave him a big lighter? Absolutely. Can a yes. chimpanzee start a fire if I gave, if I just gave him a bow drill set? Just handed him a bow drill set and looked at him and said, okay, go make fire. I don't think the chimp's going to figure out how to put that together and make fire from it, where even a, as long as you're, you know, uh, a normally IQ'd person who's never even been to school, I think could figure out a bow drill set if I hand it to him to make it, tell him that it can make fire. I think they well, can figure it out. There was that guy uh, at Bassett Station asking us about the origin of the Bowie knife. <laughs> origin of the Bowie knife. Well, I can actually tell that story. Let's wrap it up for the tool use tonight. But that's a cute story. Oh, my gosh. So we're sitting in Bassett Station having one of several meals that we were up there for because, God, they got good food. And somebody was walking around asking about a Bowie knife. And he's, you know where the Bowie knife came from? It was like it was a 40-year-old man raised in, right here in California. Had no clue who in the world who Jim Bowie was. 
I had to give him and his seven-year-old kid a freaking history lesson on the great frontiersman of Jim Bowie. You know, it's like, dude, he died at the Alamo. You don't know. None of this sounds familiar to you. It's like, if you're born out here in the Pacific Northwest, the South doesn't exist. I think that's really the way it works out here. But God, that was funny, dude. So, you know, the last final words on tool use. You got to have hands, which kind of puts you in the primate family if you're going to make tools for tool use. So I guess if Bigfoot picks up a rock to use it for anything, he's definitely using tools. Uh, that That's kind of how the definition goes for me. Um, and primates do that, and they do that on a regular basis. So, yeah, Sasquatch probably uses tools. It took a, we, We've known about the bonobo for you know, have a decades, and just now we're realizing, oh, they use tools too, and they're way more like our tools than the chimpanzees' tools. Well, we'll probably find out, like we'd found out with the uh, savanna edge chimpanzees. Oh, wait, chimpanzees' tools are kind of like that too. We're still learning, people, um, and that's 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 the the key for our message this evening exactly don't think we have it all figured out like bigfoot crossroads says it's a big puzzle and we're just all getting a little tiny pieces together of what they're for don't forget to go out to youtube.com slash s lounge podcast and check out the latest bigfoot campfire stories yeah that's right you never know what you're gonna find but those things and remember people they are bigfoot campfire stories uh <laughs> but check us out monday nights at 8 p.m pacific for bigfoot docs uncensored that's right your old pal wes and i sit around and talk about all the cool bigfoot documentaries over the years and one of these nights david's gonna get home early enough to join us don't you think yeah, on a monday maybe it's maybe happen. yeah it's kind of crazy i know for sure so for the dr david Bator pseudo scientist i am your host the reverend jeff we want to thank you for watching and may the squatch be with you Bong, bong. Hoax Buster. That's right. Next week, we'll be talking about the Chinese Yaren. That's right. We're finally going to get into the little furry bastard who might actually be out there. The one that most of the evidence actually points to. It's all kind of... It's going to be all together. I don't know. Could it be Satan? It possibly could be. Due to request by the Snapple company, we are no longer able to play Joan. Get us a Snapple. No, well, not really. Say it. <laughs> yeah. Joan, give me a Snapple. Screw Biscardi. Joan, give me a Snapple.